Hear the word of our Lord from the Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 2, beginning in the sixth verse. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. From Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Amen. So somebody asked me, what is pietism and why, why do I call myself a Lutheran pietist? Well, personally, we'll get into why I think it would be best to say confessional pietist, because that's the direction I believe Lutheranism needs to go. But first, let's establish what is Lutheran pietism. Well, if you ask me, Lutheran pietism is just Lutheranism that means it. It is Christianity that means it. Somebody who is a Christian ought to live like a Christian, ought to think like a Christian, ought to read their Bibles, know the faith, and do the faith. Not just knowing it, not just knowing it, but also doing. They should be receiving grace from God and then also doing their best to walk in the faith. That's pietism, in a nutshell. If anybody asks me, that's what I'm going to say. It's Lutheranism that means it. But there's nuance, as there is with everything. Bit of history. In the 16th or 17th century, there was a guy named Spanner who kicked all this off with a book called Pia Desideria, or Pious Desires. What he saw with the rise of what's called scholastic Lutheranism was, okay, you guys are really, really smart, and you're figuring out doctrine really, really well. That's very good, except that Germany is war-torn right now. A whole lot of people are dying. The, uh, the church is in shambles. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is doing their so-called Catholic Reformation, as they do, the Counter-Reformation, and you haven't moved a finger to help it. And the laity gets nothing except maybe some catechesis, and they get some dry sermons and extremely high liturgy, but they don't know that St. Paul says that if you live in drunkenness, you're going to hell. You aren't living the Christian life, and we're not teaching it to people. So he wrote pious desires as this fiery tract here, saying that, like, you guys are more likely to get pissed off that somebody is hanging out with a Baptist than if you were to see somebody in your own congregation cheating on his wife. You are more concerned with head knowledge than actual devotion to Jesus, and that's bad. Now, with Spainer saying we, we shouldn't care about denominational differences, we shouldn't care about theology, of course not. The man was a theologian, and he was a fan of guys like Gerhard and other Lutheran scholastics, but he noticed that as the church went very high church and went very scholastic, devotion was left by the wayside. 
And that leads to some problems, some severe problems. Now again, full disclosure, I am a confessional Lutheran. I am a 1580 Book of Concord guy. That's perfectly good, perfectly fine, perfectly something you need. We really do need to have that as our tradition as Lutherans to hold to a quia subscription to the Book of Concord. It is a correct interpretation of Holy Scripture, so I subscribe to it. But something people forget is, here from the uh, formula of Concord, it says many create for themselves a dead faith or delusion that lacks repentance and good works. They act as though there could be true faith in a heart at the same time as the wicked intention to persevere and continue in sin. This is impossible. Or they act as though a person could have and keep true faith, righteousness, and salvation, even though he is and remains a corrupt and unfruitful tree from which no good fruit comes at all. In fact, they say this even though a person persists in sins against conscience or purposely engages in these sins, all of this is incorrect and false. So the Book of Concord actually would, strictly speaking, put its stamp of approval on what Spainer was going at. He was saying, listen, we can't have a dry, dead faith that just says, because I go to church on Sunday, and because I take the sacrament, and because I've been baptized, and because I sit there and I sing my hymns, and I stand up when they tell me, please rise, and I sit down when they tell me, please sit, I'm going to heaven. Spainer says, no, that's, that's dead faith. You're not doing anything the other six days of the week. What are, how, how can you call yourself a Christian? That's Spanner. But that leads to a historical pietistic movement, which, uh, though it expands and it grows, it kind of drifts from the later confessional Lutheran movement. And you see little eruptions of pietism within confessional Lutheran circles every now and then, but they're quashed for a big, fat reason. Spanner believed in conscience. He believed in experience. He was fine with saying that your emotions can influence how you feel, and it is okay to say that. But in the Lutheran Church and in the history of Germany, we've had a problem with that. What do I mean by that? So the, the pietists, sometimes there, there were radical movements where they got all the way up to, well, being close to the Anabaptists, wearing their religion on their sleeve, being very externally religious, being all about the rules, and living a life that said, even if they didn't say it with their mouths, that we were justified by faith plus works. Uh, very works-oriented. And that led people to believe in two things. Either they are Judaizers, they are legalists who really want you to earn your way to heaven, or B, well, and or B, they are enthusiasts. And these are two really, really big no-nos in the Confessions. We all, from the Confessions, from the Augsburg Confession, in accordance with Holy Scripture, we reject works righteousness, which says that if you are doing well enough and you're doing your good deeds and you're dotting your theological I's and crossing your theological T's, that you're saved. And meanwhile, enthusiasm, or God within-ism, is the belief that you can understand God's truth well, through a feeling, through the still small voice, through ecstatic experiences, anything other than the word or in addition to the word. 
Uh, a good example of enthusiasm is your standard charismatic who thinks he's a prophet because he thinks he heard the, the word of God coming into his ears that he had to give to Stacy to tell her that they need to get married. It is the common belief among LCMS and other groups that the epistemology of the pietist is, at its core, enthusiastic and based on works righteousness in their ethic. So there was a split, a natural split, not a violent one. It was more like just kind of a mutual drifting away between pietists and confessional Lutherans. And that eventually, over time, leads to where we are today. More history here. And hey, you want a Pietism 101, I'm giving you the, the best off-the-top-of-my-head explanation that I can give it. Bear with me if it seems a little stream of consciousness here. So, Spener started the Pietistic movement, and that led to inspiration for groups like the Moravians, who were all about having a personal encounter with Jesus and, well, sympathizing with Christ's sufferings and struggle. Which isn't a bad thing. But the Moravians kind of took it in a direction where that's uh, judging your theological beliefs by that. Saying you need to do this based on a feeling. Okay, well now they're flirting with real enthusiasm. And then in Finland, eventually you get to uh, the Finnish pietist movement, which was around this one missionary guy who tried to uh, deal with the Swami people and with a lot of other poor Finnish people. And he hyper-emphasized the law. The, the guy named, I believe, Lystadius himself. We get Lystadianism from that. It is very, very, very close to legalism. And everything is based on the individual rather than the church corporately. That's where we get the real accusation of legalism because Lystadians unfortunately sometimes do end up being pretty legalistic. You have entire households who believe that it is sinful to own a television or a smartphone or get tattoos. A lot of times there's the risk of forgetting that you do have freedom in Christ. So those two things sometimes did come true for the pietists. Meanwhile, the accusation of the pietists that confessional Lutheranism was falling into dry, dead faith in uh, worship of the liturgy, sometimes that did come true. How do we know this? Well, because later on, there was the Danish problem, where uh, Kierkegaard, being my favorite theologian, he did complain that the faith of the Danes was dead because there were a whole lot of people who did, in his interactions with them, more or less think they were going to heaven because they went to church. <laughs> and then we get to the 20th century, with guys like Gerhard Ferda, who reject the third use of the law altogether. And this is something that is huge in the LCMS right now. It's a big struggle and a big part of the civil war in the Missouri Synod, where there's this kind of... Uh, Yes, I am so confessional, but also I'm going to really reject or distance myself from the third use of the law. Third use of the law being that the law is a guide for your life. The Ten Commandments are really how we ought to make a whole lot of decisions in our lives, and we need to abide by and obey those Ten Commandments 
Not because it saves us, but because we are saved. This is the new obedience. I want to seek to obey God because he has saved me apart from my works. Therefore, I'm going to use the law to learn how to live. Ferda and a lot of uh, what's called radical Lutheranism said, I, psh, no, you can't do that because you're seeing Jesus as having earned salvation for you through his works and his righteousness. When if salvation is never by uh, works righteousness ever, that can't be the case. So, um, look, that just doesn't work, all right? <laughs> That's Ferda who also rejected the confessions and he rejected the inerrancy of scripture. Ferda was a mess. But his stuff gets popular in Missouri Synod circles. And that's led to, and I've met pastors that held to this, this idea that it really is about just preaching law and gospel without a response, without living, being taught in your homily that you must live this now. That yes, the commandments that you failed you must now obey that because you are saved. Try again. So we have two extremes here. We have an extreme of pietism that is a Judaizing enthusiasm that approaches the Anabaptists who were hung in Munster. And then we have the opposite, which is uh, the Church of Denmark. Uh, because I go to church, I go to heaven. It's okay if I'm getting drunk all the time. It's okay if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend because I go to church and I'm saved. I hear that I'm forgiven, so it's, it's all right, man. What's a Bible? Bible study, what's that? I heard that there's a Bible study in church, but I don't go. I, I wanna say that the, these two extremes shouldn't have to exist. And I'm hoping that we can balance these out. So, pietism if it's done correctly, it's just Lutheranism that means it. You take that catechism, you read the first thing, the Ten Commandments, and you hear, you read the table of duties in your small catechism, you go, oh, this should be me. I should be the guy that does this, that has no other gods except the one true God, that doesn't take God's name in vain, that uh, in accordance with our understanding of the third commandment, gladly hears God's word and attends church, takes the sacrament regularly, you know, do not forsake the Sabbath day. I do honor my father and my mother and everybody that they've subcontracted out to do the job of a father and mother for me. I don't kill people and instead I promote life. I don't uh, commit adultery and instead I seek faithfulness for my spouse or saving myself for my future spouse. I do not steal, and instead I give to charity. I, I, I'm generous, I'm giving, I'm, I'm kind to people. I don't spread false witness, but instead I rebuke those who gossip around me, and I try to uphold my neighbor's good reputation. And no, I don't covet my neighbor's house, instead I help him to keep it. I don't covet my, neighbor, my neighbor's life, you know, his wife, hand, a manservant, maidservant, cattle, oxen, donkey, or anything that is his, but instead I help him to keep it, and I cherish that which is mine so that I do not lose that sight of what God has given me. That should be you. you. You should do these things. This is what the Bible tells you to do. This is Christian ethic, Christian morality in a nutshell. And in addition to that, how am I going to know that unless I have a robust life of reading the scriptures, studying the Bible, understanding what doctrine really is, and I do it with friends. 
because I shouldn't forsake the gathering of us together, as Hebrews chapter 10 tells us. But in addition to that, that shouldn't just be on Sunday. I should be getting with my buddies. I should be reading the Bible together. We should be praying together. The Bible says pray without ceasing. I should be continuously trying my best to pray. I should have a deep relationship with Jesus. That's good. That should be you. And in addition to that, pietism, it gets a bad rap for saying that it's okay to have a feeling. That's good. It's good to have feelings. Again, not enthusiasm, not creating doctrine with what I hear, not creating doctrine outside of God's word or listening to some still small voice out on the mountaintops or thinking that my dreams and random voices that I hear create doctrine for me. No, you have a conscience. God gave that to you. You have emotions. God gave that to you. Lutherans should not reject emotions necessarily. That's silly. But unfortunately, the, you know, well, the Anabaptists, we, we had this allergic reaction to their enthusiasm to the point where a lot of Lutherans reject asking yourself, how do I feel about this? And do I wrestle with those feelings or do I encourage them? A good example being, you sinned, you busted up and watched some porn, or you drank too much. Do you feel bad about it? Do you feel bad about that sin? Absolutely. Lean into that despair. Lean into that pain and say, I must go to my Savior because my conscience, renewed and regenerated in my baptism, is telling me I must repent of that sin. If I avoid that emotion and just say, uh, no, I can't feel that. No. Now, that's too enthusiastic. Well, then I'm hardening my heart against my sin, and I will find myself potentially doing it. Now, do I want to get addicted to that that sin, feel bad, um, go to the same sin as a solution for feeling bad, and, and just continue that cycle? Absolutely not. If I sin, I must understand. I should have sorrow over that sin and then go to the right place for forgiveness for absolution to take care of that feeling i should pray to god for my forgiveness i should go to my pastor for private confession i should do all of these things because my feelings my conscience my heart tells me with the witness of the holy spirit spurring it on you screwed up pal and let's say opposite thing the pastor says something at a sermon or at a bible study that i don't like Or I'm reading the Bible and I I get a bad feeling about what I'm reading and I don't like the conclusion to that. St. James, uh, I I read him condemning the rich and condemning partiality and oh, that gets me, that just grinds my gears because yeah, I, I like having money, okay? I didn't like growing up poor. I like feeling good about what I've earned. And you know what? There's some people that I don't want to invite to church. There's some people that I do want to treat better in my congregation than others. And now I'm, if I'm aware of my feelings on this, now I understand, wait a second, wait a second, because I'm in touch with my emotions and I'm in touch with who I am, that's a sinful part of my heart. You know, I'm, you know what, I need to wrestle with this. And I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, and I'm going to tell God, hey, I don't like this. And I know it's my fault. I know that there's the old Adam rising up in me, but I don't like this feeling. Could you help me take care of this dislike of what Holy Scripture is saying? 
because you're right, I'm wrong, you're big, I'm small, you're God, I'm not, you're smart, I'm dumb. Help me. Because right now it's hard to do that. If I don't do that, if I say, oh, that's too emotional, that's too much like enthusiasm there. Um, well, okay. I've still run the risk of hardening my heart because now I'm just ignoring my emotions and saying, well, I'm going to rotely accept it and pretend that I'm not going to have subconscious results from that. Pietism is something we need. And especially when we read from Colossians here, from the beginning of the recording, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. That's our doctrine of vocation. Uh, the Missouri Synod, I've heard their pastors, they've, well, they've went against pietism, saying that this is you just wearing your faith on your sleeve. Well, of course, I don't have to be the guy that's holding up holy hands and praying in the public square as some pietists have done, unfortunately. It is possible to overdo it. But they also said, like, if you, they were mocking the concept of if you lose weight, you're losing weight for the Lord. They were saying, that's just silly. You should just do it because it's good for you. But pardon me. Shouldn't I see it as motivating to take care of my body because God has given it to me? Shouldn't I connect everything in my life to God? You are serving the Lord Christ, Colossians 3.24. In our daily lives, in our vocation, in our activity, why not try to sanctify that and say, I want to do this for God. I want to live my life for him and have a robust devotional life from that. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> Pardon me, uh, Missouri Synod pastors that I've had this conversation with. That's a good thing to do. But there is the flip side. And this is where I believe in confessional pietism. If we don't have the confessions, or if we don't rely on them, then yes, we are self-willed. We are auto-prophets. If I just rely on my feelings, and I, I've struck no balance here between real, hard, crunchy doctrine and devotional life, then I am I'm just an emotional creature. We do need the 1580 Book of Concord. We do need the Augsburg Confession. We do need to read the Apology. We do need to read the Formula of Concord. And personally, I do wish that pietistic Lutheran groups like the AFLC would uh, adopt the entirety of the Book of Concord. Typically, they don't because they come from a background of Northern European countries that became Lutheran before the Book of Concord was complete, and it just never factored into the way they did things. That's okay, but you really should. And you really should have your pastors have that oath to say, yes, I, I hold a quia subscription to the Book of Concord, the book that definitionally makes me Lutheran. We need to do that. Because if we don't, suddenly we're going to find ourselves repeating the same exact mistakes or opening ourselves up to various enemies of the church or we're going to have pastors that don't know how to preach a proper sermon. It's going to be a sermon that's all law and no gospel and they think that it's the third use of the law but their laity is not receiving that. All they're getting is law. And look, somebody can say in their head, yes, I recognize because I, I went through catechesis as a kid that I am not saved by my works. 
But then when you hear sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, even an Easter Sunday sermon that's really a Good Friday sermon about my sin and how bad I am, but also here's what I need to do, and I never hear the gospel, it doesn't matter if in my head I believe that I am saved through faith in my Lord Jesus Christ and faith alone. No, I need to live that, yes, but I also need to study that. I need to hear that. The sacraments, we need to be taking the sacraments regularly. We need to go to the Lord's table. We need to hear in the stead and by the authority of my Lord Jesus Christ. By his command, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I need to know that I am forgiven. I need to hear that. I need and the confessions are the document that which give us that and help us to navigate how we do Lutheranism. You need both. And yes, I do believe we need a bit higher of a liturgy. Uh, high liturgy isn't a bad thing. It's when high liturgy is worshipped. Now, I'm partial to simplified liturgy, but the fact of the matter is, is that liturgy is still doing something. You are still gathered together. You are still confessing together, which is good, and it shouldn't always just be the Apostles' Creed. It should also be the Nicene Creed. You should memorize a whole lot of the small catechism. You should be reading the, uh, the small call articles to understand what's the difference between me and Rome. We should do that. That's good. Absolutely. And we should reject other denominations, their theology, their doctrine, because we understand intellectually why they are wrong and what comes out of them. Perfectly fine. But you need both. You need to, I want to be a pietist, but I want to be a confessional Lutheran pietist. I want to be a Lutheran that means it and live that and know it like the back of my hand. That's what we ought to seek to do so that we can live lives that are pleasing to God, but also have a faith that is pure, which also pleases God. Now that said, I also believe there needs to be a kind of a middle found between the pietists who were okay chumming around with other denominations and confessional Lutherans that uh, they react to the existence of other denominations like a vampire does to a cross. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Um, Roman Catholics exist. Yes, their baptisms are valid, and yes, their sacrament is valid. When they take communion, they really are taking the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing for Eastern Orthodoxy. If a Baptist has a baptism in the, the same way that our Lord Jesus commands us, it is a valid baptism. Now, if it's his like second, third, fourth, or fifth baptism, that is not a valid baptism. It was the first one that counted. That's it. He is regenerate because of that. But is it okay to say also that these guys are wrong? That they get their theology wrong? And that they have serious problems because our Reformed friends insert their reason into everything. Our Roman Catholic friends are relying on tradition, which is not inspired. The, uh, the same thing for the Eastern Orthodox guys. Absolutely. We need to be able to say... You're wrong, but I love you. And let's have that conversation. At the same time, 
Is it also okay to listen to some of their teachers sometimes? And I know, I know. <laughs> Get out your pitchforks and torches, my friends. But I have a lot of Old Testament exegesis from Reformed and Baptist people in my bookshelf. Why? Well, sometimes I need to know, okay, maybe I missed something. Maybe I need a fresh perspective. I got the church fathers here. I like consulting the church fathers for various sermons and projects and the, the book that I'm working on. They're not Lutherans. Not in the slightest. I mean, John Chrysostom certainly wasn't. I still consult him because that's a fresh take on something. And I can say, well, okay, here's where he got it wrong in accordance with Lutheran doctrine and in accordance with Holy Scripture, even more importantly. It's okay to say if I'm doing that for the church fathers, maybe it's okay to do that for, say, Spurgeon. Why not? I'm, I'm sure I'm going to bash my head against the wall with how often he's going to get things wrong, but occasionally you're going to get surprised. It's occasionally you're going to go, you know what? I can't argue with this part. He's, he's right on this one. That's not a bad thing. In fact, maybe, just maybe, if Lutherans were willing to argue with other denominations and read their uh, biblical scholars or whatever, maybe that would get Lutherans reading the Old Testament again and actually studying it. And maybe we wouldn't see the Old Testament as just a bunch of stories, but we would understand, yes, we get a lot of doctrine from this. <laughs> a whole lot of doctrine from the Old Testament. But I can't believe what, uh, there was a church that I was pastoring with where I had one of my parishioners telling me, yeah, we don't, we don't do that Old Testament stuff. All right, we're just, we're, we're about the New Testament, okay? I'm like, what are you talking about? I had, I had to start doing a, an entire big series on the Old Testament in that church because they needed to understand that, yes, we as Lutherans need to read our Bible. That includes reading First and Second Kings. We need to do that. We need to be into that. That is a part of who we are. Just saying, guys. But anyway, that, if I understand everything's a, a little stream of consciousness, but that's my specialty, rambling on, on SoundCloud here. But that's Pietism 101. Be a Lutheran that means it. Be a Lutheran that is a Christian seven days a week instead of six. Be a Lutheran that wants to please God with his works, with obedience to the commandments, that wants to study scripture every day, reading his Bible every day, that prays all the time, whether that's with prayer helps like I use, like the Wreath of Christ bracelet, or using written prayers. And be a Lutheran that's willing to feel stuff, that's willing to evangelize when God calls for it, that wants to be a good Christian. But at the same time, be a Lutheran that understands that the confessions are right. That we do need the sacrament. That we do need to hear law and gospel and then the third use of the law instead of sermons that are nothing but law. Be a Lutheran that listens to what the scriptures say and rejoices in the gospel but understands the pure gospel, not, um, you know, Christmas and Easter only versions of gospel or gospel that's turned into law. It's okay to read Walther. It's okay to read Spanner. Confessional pietism. That's my thing, and I'm hoping that, uh, hoping that a whole lot of other people go that direction as well. Amen and amen.